Hello everyone and welcome to the Event Tech Talk Show. This is Seasons 2 still and we are now on Episode 6. If you are tuning in today on repeat or on replay, should I say, um, and you've missed any of the last five episodes or even Season 1 of the Event Tech Talk Show, you can go to eventtechtalks.com. That'll take you to the back catalogue. Um, that solution there is powered by Clipper, so you can actually search for your favourite event technology terms or even pivot virtual hybrid ai facebook meta whatever you want and that system will actually pull in all the clips for you so it's a really good cool way to actually kind of dig down into those teeny tiny bits and months in time of the content that you might want or of course you can listen to us on apple itunes spotify all the major kind of podcasting networks and you can even go and watch us on YouTube if you want to see the guests in action. So joining me on today's episode is Evan Babbins. Evan is the event marketing manager for Clear and he's based out of Toronto, Canada. Evan, welcome to today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for thank you for joining me. We've we've known each other a while and I'm really happy to have you on. Um How's life treating you at the moment? You, we were set, you were just saying you were, you've just moved home, haven't you? So kind of in the midst of, in the midst of moving and family life and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we're actually moving uh, in a couple of weeks. Our current house goes up on the market next week. We've bought a house currently, so we're waiting to move in beginning of June. So you can see that the house is kind of in a bit of a disaster zone. I actually <laughs> packed up my office last week and then I remembered we had this called this podcast today. So I was scrambling to reset all of everything up, but I'm happy we're here and I'm happy we're uh, we're having this conversation. It's it's crazy, isn't it? Once like once you start taking everything out from your normal day to day setup when it comes to like tech, you know, cameras, lighting, podcast, audio, you know, mics, all that kind of stuff. Half, half of the challenge is just remembering which cable goes where and which routing you used to use, right? <laughs> well, I was like, I was plugging everything back into my hub that I use. And I was like, okay, which one goes into this one? I was like, okay, when I move into the new house and I reset it up for good, I'm going to label which input goes with which cable color code. So it's simple, easy to plug back together. I, I keep telling myself I'm going to sort out at some point the nest and snaking of cables that are currently underneath my my desk. Right. Um, right. I, for some reason, prior to this podcast, had managed to unplug my microphone. And it, it took me about 15 minutes to work out why I wasn't getting any, <laughs> any audio. So I'm glad I sorted that, though. I found, I found the end of the cable. Um, Perfect. Evan, tell us a little bit more about your role at, at Clear. Um, you know, I know it says it in the t- title, Events and Marketing manager but that's a very broad term for for many companies so what what like what does the day-to-day life of Evan look like yeah for sure so it's it's a couple of different roles kind of all knitted together nicely generally speaking the day-to-day is planning producing and executing trade shows in the water industry across the U.S. so this year we're planning on doing about nine shows from Washington to Los Angeles and everywhere in the middle. Uh, I was on my first show on site in the beginning of April in San Antonio, Texas. It was a crazy experience to say the least. Uh, And then we have a number of different stops all year and bigger shows, smaller shows. So that's one aspect of the role. And then the other aspect of the role is sort of the pre during and post event content that our sales team will use to help generate leads and generate prospects that we're hoping to target and speak to at the shows themselves. So it's working with, you know, internal copywriting, graphic design, brand marketing teams, uh, you know, content generation, um, getting all that content written, put together and send out via our growth team where we have the sales team send it out organically and through CRM programs with this relevant information pre-event, then during the event, we do a little bit of social content of like, where are we, what's doing, what's happening at the show. And then post-event, we'll do a recap. We'll do maybe a video recap of the show and then send out that post-event with a CTA for how people can sign up for demos and get more information on the company. 
Amazing. So like events clearly a really integrated part of the marketing and engagement strategy that, that the company has as part of their like outreach program, sales program, engagement program with maybe customers of the industry and stuff like that, right? Yeah, it's pretty crazy that this year is actually the first year it's been a full-fledged program. I've been in the company since the beginning of January. Last year, they sort of dabbled in a little bit of a sponsorship here and there, but this year... The company's direction was really let's make events a really strong go-to-market strategy. Obviously, with COVID, I'm going to say hopefully ending soon. As we all know, we've been saying hopefully it'll end soon for two years. Um, but you know, hopefully we're on the tail end of things that live events are really back in full force, especially in the U.S. market where we're spending all of our time in the events world. Uh, and it's when I was in the states, you know, a couple of weeks ago on site. I mean, Texas has been very, uh, I'll call a liberal state mm -hmm. when it comes to COVID, but it really felt like COVID never existed. I wore a mask the whole time I was there. I didn't get anybody saying like saying anything or saying, oh, you're wearing a mask or no one really said that, but everyone kind of looked at me like a little weird, like I was maybe a little bit of an alien, you know, coming into their world um, where that just wasn't a thing. So I'm hoping that as we continue moving forward, the big events will come back in full force. I know they've been back sort of in a percentage of their full capacities, but I think we're hoping for 2023 to be the first year of like full capacity for events. And we're hoping to test the water this year, obviously make a mark. It's a big year for brand awareness as well for the company. So we have a big trade show booth and we're doing a lot of brand marketing work. And so we're hoping to set the ground level this year so that next year we can take that further step and sort of build on what we started this year. Yeah, no, and I, from what I can see, you know, to that point about attendance numbers coming back, like people's natural behaviors and the way that they operated and worked prior to the pandemic had totally been disrupted for a long, long period of time. And we've got to remember that, you know, as I call it, getting back into the swing of things is a different process for different people. You know, I've had the experience myself of going um, to Dubai just recently and over there, masks are very much the mainstay. And it's actually the person that's not wearing the mask that stands out, maybe like you felt a little bit at the event in Texas. Yeah. So people need to come back. People are going to take different measures, different times to come back to live events. But the good news is, from what I can see from research firms like Explory and others like AMR and the research that associations like UFI and the AO and stuff are doing within the market, especially the trade show market, shows that the appetite and the, and the growth is building back quite rapidly. It's, very, it's looking very positive. And certain sectors obviously benefit more, like consumer, consumer events and things like that could benefit more earlier because people are just more eager, I think, on that side. Business, there's a little bit more a little bit more to go through from a corporate responsibility side of things and all that kind of stuff. But I, I agree with you. I think um, next year we'll be back to a lot what we saw pre-pandemic. Sure. And, and I, think, I think also that, just to jump in, that like I think a lot of companies over the last two years have had this massive shift of like, do we have to send 30 sales reps to a show where maybe we can send 10 and save costs because everything's been virtual the last two years. We've had no cost to send people. So getting back into things, like you said, that comfort level of corporate social responsibility will take a little bit more of a, of a runway to get back to where we once were. Evan, before you mentioned um, you, obviously, as a company, you go to exhibitions and trade shows and events, and then you also produce um, your own events. What's your advice, or I want to kind of look at, like, what's your advice to trade show organizers when it comes to technology? Is there anything that they could be doing there that would make it a better experience for you as a company investing in those events as a, as a sales and engagement activation? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a couple of things that you can get out of it. Number one, I think, and I experienced this, or a lack of experience of this when I was in Texas, there was no virtual component to that event. It was 5,000 people on site, no virtual options. And so for a show like that, had they had a virtual option embedded within the show, your audience could be so much bigger than just the people that were on site. Now, the show was like very much of, we're back on site, we're on site only, 
we're we're back to pre-pandemic days. That was their mentality. But for me, as an event producer who's been working in virtual since the better part of 2017, I would like to see shows incorporating more virtual and hybrid models in their live events that we know exists and we know the technology is there. And I'll give you an example. I was on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, just doing my regular scroll like I always do in the morning. And I saw, the, I saw there was an event in Shanghai in China. It was a massive conference. It was like 10,000 people. It was really a good size show. And they had as part of their engagement tools, they had a wall of iPads. And what you would do is you would go up to the wall of iPads, you would grab one as an on-site attendee, and you would then be matchmaked, like connected with a virtual attendee, and you would be able to walk them around with the iPad around the trade show floor as like they were your buddy that they could see what you were seeing on the trade show floor. And it was it was really amazing to see, not only from the technology perspective, being able to, you know, pitch in and, and pip in all these different iPads from these different sources that were, in essence, individual Zoom calls that were just on an iPad app, right? But it was the connection between the in-person and the virtual audience. And I think a lot of us in the event tech world really struggle with how do you connect in-person people and virtual people and give them a similar, if not equation of an experience on site. And honestly, this was the closest that I've ever seen. Obviously I wasn't there in person for it, but seeing it as like part of a recap video and a case study that they did after the show about it, I was like, wow, like this is amazing technology. This is an amazing use of human connection and being able to bridge the gap between in-person and virtual audiences. I love that example. You know, when we think about virtual, we, we, we're still so focused, aren't we, on platforms and that experience of remoting in and meeting people online or then meeting people. It, it's still kind of that way, that, that way it looked at at the moment. But the iPad idea, I can see how actually in the lead up to the event, the event organizers could probably facilitate that as a way to facilitate matchmaking. And hey, you know, if you're going to be on site, book a time with Evan or Adam, exactly. Exactly. Pick, him up, pick him up from the iPad wall. And what a memorable experience for those attendees, something that they're definitely going to speak about to their, to, their, to their colleagues, to the people in their network as an experience. And hey, whether it worked perfectly or not, I think that's a positive showcase of how things can be done from an experience level when it comes to virtual and hybrid and how it doesn't necessarily just need to be platform fledged. You can kind of think outside the box and think of something a little bit more creative. I love that and, idea. And I'll tell you that like me as someone who wasn't at the show virtually or in person, I saw this on LinkedIn maybe a month ago or six weeks ago. I still remember it. I still remember that activation. And so now they're not only getting the people that were at the show or part of the show, they're also getting the wider LinkedIn event community and event tech community talking about it because it was so cool and so unique and so forward thinking that like your reach now becomes beyond the show, beyond the attendees and beyond even their networks. It's people that weren't even remotely involved, but saw it because somebody on LinkedIn liked somebody's post that was at the show, right? That's how it happens. And that's how you get these like massive ripple effects of technology like we've seen in, you know, a number of other, you know, experiences over the years. Thinking about your experience on site, I'm, I'm assuming you have sales teams and you have people tasked with engaging with the audience there. Do you approach those events from a technology standpoint for you where you take your own kind of lead capture technologies and the way that you record those engagements? Or do you rely on the organizer? And if you do, do you think there's areas there that they could do or help you as an event marketer, which is obviously about demand generation and lead generation, do a better job there. Is there, is there anything there that you think, because that's ultimately what most companies initially go to these events for from a, from a young age is to, to drive sales and engagements and then maybe later on it's about brand exposure and positioning. Yeah, I think, so for this, for this year, what we're doing is we're doing our own lead capture via our, like a platform that we've engaged with uh, from, you know, a colleague of mine who, 
they just launched this really amazing platform and I'm going to give them a shout out because I really believe in the program. Please I do. believe in the platform. It's called voice form is the company. Um, so what they've done is they've actually taken your typical lead generation form on an iPad, on a tablet, on a phone, and they've actually added in voice questions. So me as the person creating the form, I can have an audio question that you listen to, and then you can either respond back with your voice or you can respond back with text. And there's another option for a text-based question and an audio answer. And what that really does for us as lead capture and looking to get a, grow our pipeline and grow our sales funnel is we ask the question, you know, what can clear do that you can't currently do? And we gave these people the option to answer audio or text. And we actually got back a couple of different audio clips back that we can then use as long as people obviously click the privacy settings and terms of service, we can then use that audio as part of our marketing material to say, hey, here's a testimonial from a, from a customer that had a pain point that we're now going to come in and solve their pain point. Once we give them the tools that they need and they're successful, we now have this 360 degree view of these audio bits that we can use on social, we can use on, you know, in different marketing campaigns. And it really gives us that, that a new level and a new layer of engagement with your typical, I'll call it boring lead capture that normally people do. So to answer your initial question, we do a lot of our own stuff. Relying on the shows can be problematic sometimes because, you know, their lead capture, uh, their lead capture services sometimes could be a little bit shady, depending on the company that they're using. As we all know, there are a lot of shady companies out there that will email you two weeks before a show and says, I'm the official lead capture of CES. Please give me your bank account and I'll give you your leads. And the shows try to mitigate against that happening and, we all know how difficult that is to, to handle, but I think it's a balance between getting your own really good quality leads by talking to people on site, by engaging with people at the shows and getting that information. And then if you need that backup from the show, we'll obviously use the pre-delegate list, post-delegate list that we get as a sponsor, as part of our sponsorships um, that will have, you know, GDPR compliant mm -hmm. list and, It'll have all these things that we're looking for in it. And so to me, I think that's the marriage that you're looking for is that pre and post delegate list with all the information paired with your on-site lead capture with whatever you're doing in your booth or walking around the show to get leads. I love that example. Thank you for sharing that with us, Evan. I've not heard or yet seen anybody kind of approaching the opportunity to, you know, capture the information. I'm going to call it the information because a lead can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different yeah. people. But use voice. I, I it's amazing. love that. I would it's imagine. So cool. you, I would imagine you get so much more qualitative, quantitative information in that. I mean, we've been speaking here for 20 minutes. I would imagine that we've spoken thousands of words already. So you probably, I would imagine, you're going to get lots of more information in a short amount of time. Plus, you're going to get emotion inflection and all of those kind of things that we can once we listen back to we go oh actually that person's not quite happy they've said this which could have been taken positively but actually there's there's some frustration something there or something like that or maybe the other way around maybe they you, on paper it looks like a, a, a person is not happy but actually they're actually really happy the old adage of you know you can say uh, you can say a sentence in multiple different ways and it can come and mean different things, right? That's am that's amazing. What was that company again, Evan? Let's give them one more shout out. It's voice form. And I think maybe maybe we can put a link or something. Yeah, yeah. Give them a shout out on Absolutely. this. The other really cool piece about it that I just want to end off with this piece is like what we found using them is you find that people give you better quality information when they're asked to use their voice rather than fill a form out because people just fill out forms blind and you don't even know what you're writing. You just want to get through it. But if you're asking someone to record a voice clip of what they want to talk about, you're actually going to get more substance from that answer to a question. So when we're looking at it, like, you know, how can we help you do better in your day-to-day -day job as a text answer? It's like, I'm good. Right. But then 
if you ask someone for their voice, they're like, well, here's my pain point. Here's what I've been struggling with. Here's how I need help. Here's how you can help me. You get more of the story because people are more invested in filling out the form when they're like almost their five senses are included in it than just, you know, typing out something quickly on their phone as they're walking away from the booth. My, my, my mind's racing away from me now where I'm like, right, okay, if they've got a form, maybe they can do a registration form and maybe some of those I'm looking for, I can help with kind of responses could actually put in some of, be put in some of these virtual event platforms as uh, uploaded directly and automatically. So if I'm looking at your profile, Evan, I'm like, hey, what's Evan looking for? And it's, hey, I'm Evan, I'm looking for this. Then if you can help me reach out to this, there's a lot more quantitative information there rather than Evan is looking for tag keyword, whatever exactly. is important. And a lot of the, you know, even still today, lots of virtual event platforms and event organizers struggle with getting qualitative, quantitative data on those platforms. Because people, like you just mentioned, people are busy. They just want to rush through it. They just want to get through it. Um, whereas that voice opportunity, maybe even just two simple questions, what am I looking for and what can I help with, will be for a sure. cool way to kind of really amplify. If anybody nicks that idea, I'm coming after you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give it to VoiceCom. VoiceCom can integrate with all the all the reg systems and, or maybe they've just produced their own reg system or something right. like that. But that'd be, right. This is the Super evolution cool. of technology and this is what I'm really excited about. People approaching it from outside the events industry in totally different ways and coming up with, you know, innovative ways to kind of collect that information. Thank, thanks again for... Yes. Thanks again for sharing that foot with us. Yeah. Um, Evan... <sighs> You're you're no you're no stranger to virtual events. I think I prior to this prior to this podcast, we were talking, and you know, your experience really started out in what, like two thousand and seventeen. Yeah. Um. So how talk? Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, how so early did you end up producing virtual events? Yeah. So I was working for an event production agency based in Toronto. We had clients literally around the world. So one of our biggest clients that was my account was a pharmaceutical company. And every six weeks or so, they would get an FDA approval to be able to sell a new drug in the US and around the world. And so they approached us and we were doing all of their corporate communications. And they had done a couple of big events that they produced you know, once or twice a year. And then they started getting all these FDA approvals. And they were like, they had this problem of like, how do we get the sales and marketing information to their sales team, which is 30,000 people literally based around the world. So they're like, we can't fly everybody to New Jersey at the head office every six weeks to give them an hour and a half, you know, debrief of how to sell the drug and how to market it and all these things. So they're like, what do we do? So they contacted us and we worked with one of our technology partners and we basically built what you would call now as an event platform that they would log in on a website with a single sign on, you know, key that to make sure that no one outside the company was getting access to, we would go on site to the a hotel near their office in New Jersey or anywhere in the world that the executive team was at the time. And that took me to Chicago and Germany and New Jersey too many times to count. But what we would do is we would set up basically a press conference like studio in the hotel we would get the executive team on site because it's easier to bring five people somewhere than 30,000 people. We would have a separate technology company broadcasting the show live to the platform on, on the website. We would have the full lighting, cameras, microphones, like backdrop, like everything set up properly. And so I was there to basically produce the event and I would be going down every five, six weeks. But the kicker was, they would only get noticed that they got the approval 24 hours in advance of them going live with the cameras. So we were working with our technology company and our AV company that they were basically on standby every five weeks to be able to hit the road running and get down. They were based in, uh, they were based in Pennsylvania. So not far from New Jersey at all to get there. And they had a warehouse in New Jersey for other events that they did in the area. And so I would get the call like on a Wednesday, let's say, and they would say, okay, we had different criteria. So it was like, if you called before noon on Wednesday, we could do a show at 9am Thursday. If you called between noon and three, the show would be Thursday at 3pm. And it was like all these different like 
like criteria to know when we needed to be set up and ready to go and have the cameras rolling because they wanted to be ahead of their competition to get the information out. And they had competitions for their sales team of who could sell the fastest and the most. And it was just really crazy to be part of. And so when I look at it now versus what's available and what we use to this day, it's so like basic of what we were doing. Like we had polling available. We had question and answer from the audience that would show up live in the downstage monitors on set that the host could read off. We had uh, basic gamification on it. So like, like I said, polls and surveys that were almost, almost live. I'll call it. We had a little bit of moderation in the background before we pushed it live. But to think that in 2017, we were doing all this stuff. And then in 2020, when the pandemic hit, everybody started doing this stuff. I was like, wow, how much of a trendsetter was I? And how much of a ahead of the curve was I that I was doing these things three years before it was mandatory to do it if you wanted to survive in the industry? It's it is quite crazy to to think you probably could have had like an entire two year career of just consulting everybody on the planet right. <laughs> about like, this is how we do it. Do you do you feel technology was in a better place to support us in twenty twenty than than twenty seventeen, or do you think that not much had changed in that period of time? I'm gonna go really. I may string some people the wrong way with this answer and I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to do it. And if anyone wants to chat about it, I'm happy to chat in the comments when we post this, uh, this episode, but I'm going to say that technology for virtual was better in 2017 than it was in 2020. And you're like, I saw your face and I'm sure more people are going to say the same thing. And let me tell you why in 2020, there was thousands of companies trying to shift from in-person to virtual. They were making tons of mistakes, which we learned from, and we had to make those mistakes to get to where we are today in 2022 to be at the level that we're at today. So those mistakes had to be made. In 2017, we had the time to sit and test and try out different things for this platform that we created from scratch that we could iron out the bugs without having thousands of people reliant on this to get the job done. Because remember in 2017, everything was virtual. There was no events that were virtual, like a CES, a NAM, uh, these massive shows, they had never even heard of the word virtual back then. It was never in their realm of thinking. So they weren't competing in the virtual space and they weren't trying to outdo their competition of who can be faster and getting better technology. And so because there was none of that in 2017, we were able to really hone in and figure out the right pieces that made the most sense without having this massive playing field of platforms and technology companies that were bidding for us and calling us every day to have demo calls and, and share things that were coming out that I feel it was more secure and more stable because we built it from scratch and we had all the control over it versus having the companies that you have now or in, or in 2020 that are all trying to outdo each other and trying to go faster of bringing in new applications and new modules and new pieces to their tech stack that just potentially sometimes causes problems. I. I have to agree with you. I think you make some really, really good points there. There was so much of the industry that was under enormous amounts of pressure to get something done. They, right. they had commitments, you know, they had a business, they had business to run. So individuals like yourself under so much pressure to make quick decisions. Um, lots of competing or confusing information coming out. I'm, I'll also say probably a lot of false promises um, to get a signature on yeah. what could be done or what was coming from a platform. Oh yeah, we'll have this ready by by your event, and oh, it's already been it's already run on an event, and it's not even out of like beta yet. So <laughs> lots of companies, you know, and 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 I get it. Lots of businesses saw an opportunity to grow and capture market share, 
and 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 you know raise money and 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 all that kind of stuff but also from a decision making process because they've like like what 800 platforms or something out there at the moment that's crazy. like how how do you make a how do you make an informed decision um and and some of these companies were even demoing off of powerpoints they weren't even showing platforms and things like this and stuff so exactly i think you have a very valid point evan and i, and I hope actually going forward although the statistics show a sharp retracement from one people wanting to produce virtual events which i get people want to get back to in person and start getting those in person events back and then probably bring virtual back in actually now going forward hopefully there'll be a lot more time for people to be able to kind of really research the market what's the platform that makes sense for us who are the team that makes sense for us as well right because virtual the virtual platform is just one element of it if you are doing in person and you're doing live streaming you need a live streaming you need an on-site company that's comfortable working with that technology and it's all you know there's lots and lots of moving parts to it isn't there so yeah i think going forward people will be able to take a little bit more of a professional and steady approach to it and make better decisions on what technology works in what scenario and where um yeah go and i think that also i think as we go into the in-person let's call it 70 percent in person 30 percent virtual this year maybe 90 percent virtual 10 90 percent in person 10 percent virtual next year i think it'll also show us as an industry which platform companies are viable for the future and which mm -hmm. will disintegrate because if you're a company that uses a hundred percent of your team and your workforce as a platform that's just virtual and you have no in-person aspect to your show or your state your platform or you have no hybrid uh, you know capabilities i think they're gonna get lost and i think they're gonna be unfortunately what happened to the in-person companies in 2020 will happen to the virtual companies that aren't willing to adapt to the new world and to the current world. And I think a lot of those 800 that you mentioned, I think we're going to get a significant drop and we're going to see, you know, into 2023 and 2024, the companies that last and the companies that are still around are ones that are able to sort of, you know, navigate and stay current and stay relevant but I think a lot of them, unfortunately, will be lost as the in-person comes back in full force. Yeah, I, I think so. Definitely in the short term, I, I don't think there's a. I don't. I don't think there's more scope for people to launch virtual platforms at scale if that's what they want as a business. Yeah, I do believe that to some degree, technology is actually still quite localized in some ways because. Teams that are based in certain regions will have local connections to other suppliers like AV teams and, and, and live streaming teams. And then they'll have relationships with local event planners or they'll get recommended on a local basis. So in some ways, I think actually, if you are a pure play virtual event platform, maybe in Brazil, and you just really focus on that as your market and you, you're, you know, you're trusted in that market because you're seen as a Brazilian supplier and you have a network and close proximity to the industry and things like that there, then I think that can work. But I don't think there's space for, you know, 800 hoppings. I, I just <laughs> exactly. don't. I just don't. Exactly. And yeah. I think the, the companies that are succeeding continually now are the ones that actually were delivering technology for, um, businesses and events pre-pandemic and virtual was an evolution of their platform in terms of live streaming capability, agenda sessions, all that kind of stuff. And I think a really good example of that, just to jump in, is a company like Expo, who started out as a as a uh, competition to social tables, right? They were a, let's create a floor plan in a 2D world. And then they created this immersive technology that was able to do that. And so I think a company like that, that will, that will shift and continue to shift. That's the ones that are going to be successful. Yeah. And, and, and to that all seated and Stanley Harmer um, and, and Nick Borelli and the rest of the team there, what they're doing is they're building a really good quality team behind that technology. And I think that's going to be yeah. super important for many of these companies to, to, to survive going forward is have people that are creative, have innovation in their blood 
um, really want to drive the possibilities of that technology forward, come at it a bit from different angles, exactly. uh, events people as well. I think that's really going to be really important for some of these companies to get trust and build long lasting relationships with, you know, companies like clear and stuff, because you, you want them to, you want to know that they've sat in your seat, right? That you, they understand your problems and your challenges. They don't just right. there to sell you software. And I exactly. think, you know, the metaverse and, and this is where Expo is, you know, there's lots and lots of possibilities there. I mean, if we're, if we're 10% adopted of technology, we're probably like 0.10%, of the metaverse. Like it blows right. people's mind when I talk about it to, to others. And I don't even know everything about the metaverse and its, and its possibilities in the industry. So yeah, they are, if you, if anybody listening or watching has not checked those guys out on their platform, do go out because they're creating some really, really interesting stuff. And also it still exists as well, right? Like exactly. let's, not forget, let's not forget that. Exactly. One question for you on that though, what's, if you had a piece of advice for an event technology company or the the event tech, um, supply chain out there, like what what would that what would that advice be? I think it comes down to uh, two things, and number one is keep it simple. I think a lot of planners and event producers like myself get overwhelmed with a lot of information coming at us from all the different vendors that are coming together to build the event out, whether it's AV and, you know, merchandise and ticketing and registration and venue and catering and, you know, invites, all these different suppliers that we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis to produce this event. If the AV side, and I'm going to focus on the AV side, obviously, for this conversation, if things are overly complicated, we're going to shut it out. And unfortunately, when it you have all those different vendors that come together the AV side is the one that's most forget it, like most forgotten and the most important to get right. And if you don't get it right, it doesn't matter what the food tasted like or what the invitation looked like. If your live streaming partner signal goes down halfway through your keynote with LeBron James, who's doing your keynote session, no one's going to remember what the potatoes tasted like. No one's going to remember, you know, that the email that they got to launch the platform was in a blue font or a red font. They're going to remember that when they were watching LeBron James do a Q&A with Adam Perry live on stage, the signal cut out halfway through LeBron talking about his championship run. And it didn't come back for 45 seconds. And that 45 seconds felt like an eternity for everyone producing that event. And so event technology companies that can keep the process simple, keep things organized and keep things, you know, as simple to operate from the producer side as possible will get the most return on that investment. And number two is, and I talk about this a lot to everyone I speak to is what I call sort of the sponge curve, which is, taking as much information in as possible and being able to capitalize on that information. So that comes to growing your vendor network, creating a vendor network that you trust and that trusts you and being able to know that if you pick up the phone to call somebody to help you execute on a vision, they'll deliver and they'll deliver to the state and to the level that you expect as a producer and as a, as a planner and I'll give you a really quick example of this. I did an event for that pharmaceutical company we talked about earlier in Germany. And we had, we for that event, it was a hybrid sort of event where we had an in-person aspect. We had virtual, the same as always. And it was like, we had a, a Navy company based in, in Munich and they was great and they were great to deal with. 48 hours before the show, I get a phone call saying, hey, I'm sorry, we have to bail on your show. We got a new offer that came in. It's giving us $10,000 more in revenue. We're taking that show. And I was like, holy shit. It's 48 hours till the cameras start rolling. Like, what the hell am I going to do? And I called one of my closest friends who's like really well connected in the AV world in North America and in Europe. And I was like, I, I need your help. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do? He was like, Give me half an hour. Called me back in half an hour. He's like, 
where's the show? I was like, here's the venue. He was like, okay, I'm going to give you a guy's phone number. You're going to call this guy. He's going to have a truck ready at his dock for what you want him to put in the truck. And we'll deal with invoicing and billing later. And I made the phone call. And remember, this is 48 hours. I was already in Germany at this point, right? So the phone call to this new supplier came 24 hours before the cameras turned on and started rolling. I was up all day, all night. The show was set up and had everything we needed. At the end of the day, the client was so happy that they booked us for five year or a five year retainer from that show specifically. And afterwards I was like, okay, let's deal with billing and invoicing, whatever. And he was like, honestly, just pay me for the gear. I'm not charging you for the labor. Cause like he needed the business. It was a slow month for him and everything connected and the dots aligned and everything was great. And it really just goes to show you that it was a couple of things that came into play. It was my sponge curve personally, knowing the technology world, knowing what I needed, knowing what gear I needed to make the show come to life trusting my network and trusting that when I made a phone call, the person would deliver for me. And then the local supplier in Germany being able to deliver and, and be there for us. So creating a new relationship that we used for three years, moving forward for that event that happened every year in Germany that we use this new supplier who came through for us the last minute. And so that's really what it comes down to is being able to treat planners and producers like they're humans, because mm-hmm. we all know we are, and we're sometimes forgotten about as producers, and we're walked all over sometimes, and we're given the back foot sometimes, but recognizing that we're real people with real budgets that have real money to spend on this technology, and just being there for people when you need them at any moment's nominous, and it has to be a two-way street. So yeah. if I'm calling someone... I have to be prepared for somebody to call me to be able to deliver when the phone call rings and my phone rings. That's exactly right. It's the, it's the karma effect, right? Isn't it? It's treat people well, do good things for people because you can support people, offer advice, you know, be there for others, be that, be that person that's picking up the phone at the other end when somebody else that you've met is in need of a recommendation or, or is cutting it fine on something or they've been let down exactly and have that I think it's a really important part there that you know and, and the events industry is in general good at this but I think lots of people don't spend enough time building relationships and building networks up because there's no immediate gain right there and then for them like, like they can't see a they can't see a a, a a benefit on the plate right in front of them right then and there yeah so they kind of dismiss this and it was like oh i don't really want to build a relationship with that person because i can't get any money out of them or there's no job there for me or whatever but actually that is that that pays dividends when you do do that maybe five ten years down the line when you're in germany and you need a you need a favor from somebody that you've got a relationship with right well, I've been looking at it like this conversation, like you and I have never done business together. We've yeah. been connected for so many years. And like, who knew that like when we first met a couple of years ago, that we'd be here today doing this podcast. And if one person gets one piece of advice from you and I having this conversation back when we first met, and I think I reached out to you first, I saw you as a, as a keynote on an event somewhere. And I was like, I need to know this guy. I need to know who this person is super cool. And I reached out like I could have never predicted that this today would be happening, but everything builds on each other like a building block. And if one person watching this or listening to this gets one piece out of it, the relationship monetary or not is worth it. And that's what I look at. And I know you're the same way as like, I think we both feel the same that like building those relationships, having those relationships monetary or not is just as relevant to our lives in business and on our personal side as well is very important absolutely in um jason allen scott i'm going to give him a shout out he has a very famous saying whether i don't know whether he came up with it or whether he nicked it from somewhere else is your net worth is your network exactly most of the time right you know job opportunities skill sets having somebody else to reach out to when you you need a recommendation all those people that have you in mind when somebody comes to them for a recommendation for somebody who can do a job or employment or anything like that right so now i i totally get that 
you mentioned something just previously, Evan, which was about skill sets and, you know, understanding technology and things like that. Like technology clearly is becoming a much, much bigger part on a, on a macro aspect, on a, on a large scale aspect from, you know, the technology that's being used for AV through to the registration systems, lead capture systems. You know, there's an abundance of technology now coming into play. There's more and more requirements coming from organizations around things like data and analytics and understanding things. And there's a desire, I think, from a lot of companies to also want to use technologies that have the wow factor, things like the metaverse and VR and augmented reality and facial recognition and things like that. Like, But for you going forward, what do you think is some of the important kind of areas that event marketers, event planners, event producers kind of need to keep themselves at the at the front forefront of so that they're in the best position when it comes to career development or just in those really tricky situations when somebody comes to them and says, you know, an acronym or something that they actually understand it and they know they're not getting the the wall pulled over their eyes, shall we say shall we say? Yeah, I think it goes back to that, you know, network that you have and you build for yourself, connecting with the right people, connecting with smart people who know more than you do. Um, you know, I, I attend sort of infrequently, I'll call it uh, a Friday Zoom call with of other event professionals, event tech professionals, which is a bunch of people getting together. Brant Kruger, I don't know if you know him. He started it. So I, I attend his his weekly call on Friday afternoon, sometimes when I'm available. And it's it's just getting in the room virtually or now in person with people who are smarter than you, who know more things than you do to learn from them. And to, like I said earlier, is to capture that sponge and use that sponge, you know, you know, theory to get as much information as you can. And then also attending events in person, virtually or hybrid that you can to get more information, to learn more about what's going on in the world to follow people on LinkedIn and on Instagram and on different platforms that are talking about relevant things for you. Like, you know, when I was getting started and even like still to this day, you know, Julius Solaris, like we all know Julius, he posts a lot of really great things and a lot of really smart things that he takes when he goes to events and he does events for himself. You know, people like him, you know, even people like you, Adam, like you talk a lot about really cool things and really important things that, you know, a lot of people want to learn from. And that was one of the first things that drew me in to start following you and sort of to create that relationship was like, listen, like this guy is like really smart with like tech. This guy's really smart about event marketing. This guy really knows what he's talking about. Like he definitely knows more than I do for certain things. Like, you know, if you're the smartest person in the world, in the room, you're not learning anything, right? We all know that saying. And I think it's really true of like who you collaborate with, who you want to work with, who you want to work for and what companies you want to work for as an event producer. It's like, what clients are you taking on? That's going to better you and your company, you know, is the show that you're going to, is there a piece of it that you can take with you and a learning session or a keynote or a panel that you can capitalize on? So there's all these different ways of being in the forefront and then you have your typical, you know, I do it at 9 a.m., but that scroll through your LinkedIn home timeline to see what's going on in the world, see what people are talking about, you know, and just being aware of the industry when shifts are happening, what's happening, who's making the shifts, what companies are leading those shifts, and at the same time, who's not coming along for the ride. Mm personally and what companies are not coming along for the ride because maybe you want to distance yourself from those people and those companies that don't have the same vision and beliefs that you do and so it's both sides it's who's pulling you forward but also who's pushing you back and being more aligned with the pull forward than the pushback is how you'll succeed in this industry Keeping keeping those eyes and ears open, right? Keeping in touch with what's happening in the industry. Yeah. I, I think you can absorb a lot without nearly... I know there's a lot of pressure for social, especially LinkedIn, to engage with the industry, you know, comment, you know, you know, speak your mind and that kind of stuff. But I think there's a lot to be learned and gained and gleaned from just being an observer and, 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 and making those choice kind of engagements of, 
you know, reaching out to me or Julius or being a part of Brent's um, fantastic Friday event, which I am very annoyed that I don't get to be a part of, <laughs> through, through my own choice, because I think it, for, for me, it's like something crazy o'clock in the morning or something like that. Um, yeah. What's the name of that? Let's give Brent a shout out on that for people it's... that want to jump into that. Let me tell you, or let me pull it up now, because yeah. I don't want to mess it up. Then he's going to get mad that I messed it up. Event, with... tech, event Tech Chat. Event Tech Chat, that's right. Yeah, yeah I, I have seen the work that he's doing there. And I think that forum of like that collective, like, you know, it's a group exercise. You don't yeah. need to be there every Friday. If you can jump in, you can. I think yeah. he's doing fantastic work there. And, you know, for anybody that's watching and listening, Brant on that technical kind of AV, you know, technology side of things, his blind mind blowing. His, yeah, his knowledge is unfathomed from, from yeah. my experience anyway. Me so, too. You yeah, know, me too. He, he's fantastic on that. I think we're both fans of his. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, he's, he knows what he's talking about, right? Yeah. He knows what he's talking about. And I think that's where you can, you know, you can really upskill is, is knowing those people, learning from them, from their years of experience in the sector, um, you know, from, from everything that they're looking at as well. I, I think it's so important to keep abreast of where things are going. I, I genuinely think keeping abreast of where technology and I'm biased because obviously I'm super into technology just in general. Like for me, knowing where you're going has to come from having an, a, 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 an understanding and a vision of where technology is moving because it has such a Im massive impact on our day-to-day -day lives in general. Right. You know, nobody, can, unless you live in the middle of a field and you have your own plot of land and you're off grid and like your technology is the worst thing for you or something like that. Like, you know, technology is impacting our the way that we live our lives and our and our businesses and our events and things. There's definitely potential to be kind of left behind in that blockbuster moment of you, you're no longer relevant, or you've just not got the skills, or you just don't know the market enough to be able to to keep competitive when it comes to producing events and things like that. So, yeah, Evan, this this has been a fantastic conversation, mate. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it um for all of those 799 event technology companies that want to come after you now because you said they're not gonna they're, they're all gonna die and you'll be in an event, <laughs> event tech graveyard where's the best place to connect with you is it linkedin are you on twitter like where can people reach you yeah linkedin's probably the best from a sort of business perspective but i'm all over i'm on instagram i'm i'm literally everywhere but yeah linkedin is definitely the best amazing thank you very much for joining me today for those that are listening or watching, please do go and connect with Evan. He's also a wealth of knowledge and um, somebody I feel very honored to know. Um, and I'm sure we'll get him back on a future episode. Evan, thank you very much for today.